Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here with you guys uh, today. I'm uh, just a self-confession. I am an ENFJ. Anybody know what that is on the Myers-Briggs? Have you guys... So ENFJ is a personality type, and mine is an intuitive feeler. So I'm sort of like, I grab ideas, sort of like, um, I'll grab an idea, and then I'll see a squirrel, and I'll chase that idea, and I'll see another squirrel, and I'll chase that idea, and that's kind of my tendency as a, as a person when I fall in, when I'm looking at the scriptures, this idea. Then I try to implement things through a feeling, like, how's this going to impact the relationships I am and the people in around with me. So today, I'm going to kind of guide you on a journey this morning on, on through that lens of th- some of the things that God's been teaching me through his scriptures. So here's a few thoughts on how God's just been shaping me and speaking to me over the last six months since the first part of January. And there's been some formative things that God's been using to challenge me and to shape me and to stir me on to love and good deeds. So I'm going to invite you into the things that God's been teaching me. And there's been several things that God's been using to do that. One is, of course, the Bible and prayer. And I've had to turn up the volume of the global church. Um, the Bible Project has been an instrumental uh, resource for me. And then there's a book I've been reading called Renovated, God Dallas Willard and the Church that Transformed. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn and read together from Matthew 22:37. Let me see which one is this. Yeah, let's let's, uh, let's let me uh, I'll read through. My again, he was asking for slides and I said, uh, I'm not sure because I'm again I'm intuitive, I'm chasing these squirrels. I want to read from Matthew 22, verse 37. You guys found that? I'll be reading from, I like the message sometimes because it's a little bit different. So let's read that uh, together. When the Pharisees heard how he had bested the Sadducees, they gathered their forces for an assault. One of the religion scholars spoke to them, spoke for them, posing a question they hoped would show him up. Teacher, which command in God's law is the most important? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important, the first on any list. But there is a second to sit along it. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commandments, Jesus says, pegs everything in God's law and prophets. They hang on them. Let's pray together. Jesus, this morning, give us your church ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning. Amen. To me, these verses are just a beautiful summary of what life 
is like in God's kingdom and can and should be for all of Jesus' followers. Loving God, loving neighbor as I love myself, and having a healthy love of self with God. This is our identity as kingdom, as a kingdom family. Dallas, Dallas Willard in his book, Renovation of the Heart, would call it a vision of what God wants us to become. To live into our identity as a Jesus family, marked by love and joy and peace in the world. Our identity will be shaped by most, most by who we love and what we love. This is our impetus. God has always wanted to take up residence with humanity and dwell with his people so we could be formed into his image, his image into the world. He has graciously always provided the vision, the impetus, and the means which we'll explore in our talk conversation uh, today about sacred days, and sacred meetings, and sacred practices. These rhythms keep his people aligned to God, to his love, and to one another. It helped them to create an upside-down status in the world to be a transformed people. With this vision Jesus has for his church, I want to speak briefly about spiritual formation. Specifically, what does becoming like Jesus look like in the world for you and I? How would we know if we're making progress in our journey to become more like Jesus? Well, here are a few things we as a faith community and as individuals might want to consider as we reflect on how our lives are growing and growing evidence to become more like Jesus. First, do I love being with God, abiding with him, finding joy in being with him and his people, and thinking his thoughts in my everyday following Jesus' life? Two, am I spiritually aware to see the gaps in my own character and spiritually and becoming spiritually mature in becoming like Jesus. And three, fi and finally, what Dallas Willard described as the main test in transforming into Christ-like Christ -like character, do I love my enemies spontaneously? The path to spiritual transformation is challenging. We often find ourselves pursuing identities contrary to Jesus' identity in the world. One of those identities is status, and at the root is striving. David Brooks, who is an opinion columnist, which Charlene, I know, loves to read, and kind of pointed to getting me to reading his articles pretty consistently. Anybody read any of David Brooks's op-eds in the New York Times? He recently wrote an article called, Is Life a Story or a Game? And I just want to just briefly touch on, he's quoting uh, uh, author Will Storr. And he says, Will Storr, a writer whose work I admire enormously, says this story version of life that David Brooks wants to live by is an illusion. In his book, William Storr write, in his book, William Storr wrote a book called The Status Game, he argues that human beings are deeply driven by status. Status isn't about being liked or accepted, he writes. It's about being better than others, getting more. 
When people defer to us, offer respect, admiration, or praise, or allow us to influence them in some way, that's status. It feels good. Brooks goes on to say, high status people, according to Storr, high status people are healthier, get to talk more, have more relaxed postures, get admired by their social inferiors, and have a sense of purpose, Storr argues. That's what we're really after, the stories we tell ourselves, that we, that we are heroes on journeys towards the true, the good, and the beautiful, those are just lies in the minds we invent to help us feel good about ourselves. Well, obviously, David Brooks feels like that is not an accurate perception of what the story he wants to live into, and it's not an accurate perception of the story that God invites us into. Gaming, status-seeking equals, in Storr's view, it's about, love, it's about loveless and immaturity. That's how David Brooks wrote. So like David wrote about, our status is being shaped by the games we're playing, the stories we are pursuing which are competing against God's upside-down kingdom values, identity, and hopes. The calendars we are being formed by, how we use our time, are shaping our values. What we give our attention is influencing our desires, our emotions, and our hopes. In the Old, in the Old Testament specifically, in Leviticus 23 through 26, God gave his people appointed times, a sacred day dedicated to God, sacred meetings and festivals to retell the story of God at work in their lives, and sacred practices drawing near liturgies to be transformed into God's people that would be a blessing into the world. This day, these festivals, and these practices provided space and a time to, for these people to renew their love for God and neighbor and also celebrate the joy of the relationship with God and neighbor. These were God's means of grace to help his people to be spiritually transformed, to grow in their love and joy to him, to their neighbor, and to their self. All these times kept calling his people back and forward to this Eden ideal, reigning and ruling, abiding with God in the abundance of his provision. So as I've been reflecting this last year, in my reading through the first five books of the Bible, with the Bible Project, as I've been reading through Renovated, God, Dallas Willard, and the Church That Transformed, I want to give you just some five big uh, takeaways that God's been pressing on me, and then we're just going to really drill down on one of these ideas. One is that God just loves his people. God loves you. The second is that God always provides the gift of grace needed for our spiritual transformation, for our drawing near to him. Three, God invites us into a rhythm of a sacred day, sacred meetings, and a sacred practice in order to grow our love to him and one another. And we're going to really dive into that one today. And then fourth, God invites us into a relationship with him to grow our love and joy. And then finally, through grace 
and by grace, God gives me a vision in areas where I need to transform. That's the journey of spiritual formation. But I really want to focus, so that's what God's been teaching me, these big, these big ideas, and I really want to focus on the third one. I want to spend a brief moment unpacking God's sacred rhythm of a day, yearly sacred meetings, and, a sacred, and some sacred practices as means of transformation. Are you with me? All right, so quickly, I just want to kind of, kind of journey through this, how God's been forming me and shaping me through some of these ancient rhythms of a day and some festivals and some practices. And to do that, we have to, I want to just read briefly from Leviticus 23, and I'm reading from the Amplified Version of the Bible. It says this, in Leviticus 23. When's the last time you heard like, a sermon on Leviticus 23? I don't think I've ever heard a, a sermon on Leviticus. And I'm, so I'm not, I'm not going to spend a lot here. I just want to use it as, a, as a, a spinning off place. Speak to the children of Israel, God says, and say to them, the appointed times or the established feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim as holy convocations. My appointed times are these. For six days work may be done, but the seventh day is Sabbath, of complete rest, a holy convocation, or a calling together. You should not do any work on that day. It is the Sabbath of the Lord, wherever you may be. And then he goes on. These are the appointed times of the Lord. Wait, didn't he just say that? So yeah, so he's setting off Sabbath as special. And then he says, these are the appointed times. These are the festivals the holy convocations which you shall proclaim at their appointed times. And I love that. These are, so for God, as he's building up these new people, as he's calling them out of this slavery in Egypt, and he's moving them through this wilderness into this promised land, he says, here's some formative practices that I want to shape into your everyday going about following me life that will root you into your identity, that will root you into the practices that will call you to be my special people. And the first one that he calls him to is the first appointed time, which is really the building block for all the others that will come, is Sabbath. Sabbath is this practice, was this idea that we need just to stop. It was a stopping of stopping, a ceasing to rest, to spend time with God. So this seventh day, Sabbath, is a stopping of stopping. It's a stopping what is necessary, our work, to focus, what is, to focus on what is essential, my relationships with God and others. It is a rest so I can return to the work entrusted to me. It is, is a, it is a day to say yes to God and no to striving, pursuit, and status. It is a day to say no to busyness, to materialism, and yes, to settle in, to take a deep breath and enjoy the abundance found in God. It is the day the Lord has, it is the day to the Lord reminding me I am in Jesus whose rest has come into the world. And like today, the Lord's day, the Sabbath is a day reminding me of the grace God has extended to me through Jesus. It is a day full of an invitation to trust him. So here are a few tips on how I began to observe Sabbaths many years ago as a spiritual di discipline 
for my spiritual formation. This is where I would encourage you to start. Start as best you can with a entire day. Now, don't worry, you're not gonna get it perfect the first day. It's not gonna be everything that you imagined, but keep setting apart one day to God to cease your work and to rest in Him. I like to start mine in the evening and end in the evening because guess what happens in the evening? Not too long after the evening begins, I get to go to bed. And I find that I'm much more Sabbath observant and resting when I'm sleeping. So I like to start in the evening. Then I like to frame my stopping and ceasing into these four big practices. So these are my kind of my, like, you ever been bowling and had to put up the bumper rails? These are my bumper rails that I like to enter into a Sabbath rest. One is just stopping. And here's the phrase that I would use, that I use in myself when I stop. What do I need to say no to today? Sometimes it's say, I need, a, I need to say no to my laptop. I need to say no to my phone. I need to say no to the busyness of the hustle of getting by and doing whatever I need to do to, in my work. So that's a stopping framework, my bumper. Another bumper I use is ceasing and resting. So what, to, what is it about today that I can, I can cease from or rest into? And what I, the question I like to ask myself in that is, what do I need to say yes to today? I want to say yes to a good long nap in my hammock up on the hill, staring at Mount Hood. I want to say yes to being a blessing and caring and loving someone today. I want to say yes to just being still, taking a deep breath, and being with God today. Another bumper I like to put up in my Sabbath stopping is feasting. I, Charlene would tell you, I love food. I'm a foodie. I, but I feel on this day, it's about enjoying the abundance of God's provision of food and family and relationships as a little return to the Garden of Eden and an anticipation of Jesus' heaven on earth kingdom. And in the final bumper I like to put up on my Sabbath practice is embracing. It reminds me that as I journey through this story that I'm a child of the King and through Jesus, I am a friend, and I want to embrace as a brother or as a sister, as a co-heir into God's kingdom that we are equal and that we all are in Jesus, embracing his kingdom come, his will be done here on earth as in heaven. And so therefore, on this Sabbath, on this discipline of a Sabbath practice, I embrace my opportunity in the, <clears throat> in, sorry, in the world to be a little Eden outpost. I embrace my opportunity in the world to be this little time, this little Sabbath, to remind me that God's kingdom is coming here on earth as in heaven. So that's the first building block, that as we're going to fight for spiritual formation, that perhaps a discipline of, of, a, of a weekly Sabbath could help you become all that God wants you to be in pursuing his upside-down kingdom. The second one is what the Leviticus writers call these sacred meanings or festivals. So as they are building out their calendar, as God was calling them to form their identity into a kind of people that would remember him and be reminded of him, he gave them these rooted days in the calendar that would shape them into the people that he 
wanted them to be. And these holy, holy days are a reminder to them of the story they're living into. And this is true of you. You have a family calendar. On your family calendar, throughout any family calendar, you're going to celebrate birthdays as a reminder. Look at these beautiful gifts that God's given us, these children or our spouses or the relationships. And we celebrate these birthdays as a remembrance of how God is shaping our family. And we do that in our school calendars. We have spirit days and assemblies and praise God spring breaks when they come. And this is true of our modern Christian calendar. We have Advent and Christmas, the Christmas Day, Epiphany, Lent, Easter, etc. And it was true of the ancient calendar, the Hebrew calendar. Their weeks were marked by these big, were marked by Sabbath, but they were other six of primary events that set them apart as God people that he called them to practice and to find their identity in. So real quickly, these six, these seven sacred calendars were Sabbath, again, a time to imitate the creator, God, to rest in him. We've talked about that. And then these other big formative events that had happened in the life of their story that he wanted them to keep rehearsing and keep reminding him was, were these. And the first of these were practiced in the first month of the Hebrew calendar, and the last three were practiced in the seventh month. So these big months, three and then another, in the seventh month, another three practices that they would live into. The first one was Passover, unleavened bread. And basically, it was a reminder to be that we are a liberated people, that these Hebrews were being liberated from slavery and, re, and being rescued into the good, good life found in the God who rescued him. The second, the third one was first one, so Sabbath, second was Passover and unleavened bread. Unleavened bread is a part of Passover, was to remind them as they were moving through the wilderness, they didn't have time to bake bread, so they, they had to eat these crackers that was provided, or the manna that was provided by God in this wilderness experience. And so every year they would not eat any bread with leaven as a reminder that God's our provider. He's a good, good God. He meets us in our need. He meets us in our wondering and gives us these good gifts. The third uh, festival that they were pra practiced was first fruits. And was simply being thankful for the promise of this land that they were going to of, of milk and honey. So first fruits was we're taking from our garden, we're heading into this, for me and Charlene, we've been, been gardening all summer and picking cucumbers, not cucumbers, but what are they called? They call them zucchinis. And, uh, and zucchinis. And so all of us would be harvesting, but part of our first fruits, we'd take some of those and say, God, thank you for your generous gift of this produce from our garden. We just want to give it back to you as a reminder that everything comes from you. We want to give a, a little bit back to you. What a great a reminder as a people being formed that as we work, work and we toil in this land and we sweat from the brow trying to bring something that it all comes from God. And then the fourth practice that begins in the seventh month was basically a, just a feast of trumpets. It was a, a blowing of the horn saying, hey, the new year has begun. I was talking to Matt earlier. It kind of feels like September's that when we think about our school calendar. It was that school calendar is like a Okay, it's a new year. Blow the trumpet. The kids are going back to school. I know. It's like, darn it, Liam. It's like happening again. <laughs> but we blow these trumpets in a new year. We do that by sending off fireworks here in the American calendar. 
But for them, it was like, hey, a new, this is a seventh month, a month of completion, of rest. We blow this trumpet to announce that we're having a new opportunity to live into this life uh, with God. And that would move into the Feast of Weeks, which move into the Day of Atonement, which move into the Feast of Tabernacles, which is kind of one of my favorites. It's basically camping in your backyard, building this little tent, this little Eden space to remind me that though we're traveling through this wilderness experience, this is not our home. God has planned for us a little Eden here on earth. So let's build this temple or this little tent temple as a reminder that God is with us. And so can you see how these big festivals, these big anchors in time would form a people into being God's chosen people, but also create in them the habits and the lifestyle to be thankful, to be grateful, to be generous, to love him with all their heart, and to love their neighbor as themselves. And then the last building block for our spiritual transformation that I want us to consider is sacred practices. In Leviticus, these were called the offerings. These were the drawing near experiences that God had provided for his people to come near him. And so God is so gracious to us that he gives as this means of grace. He gives us a gift. And he says, here's the offering. I'm going to give, provide you an offering. And I want you to bring this offering to me as a way to form yourself into, the, into these five practices. And so I won't talk, I want to, I want to give you not their, necessarily their biblical name, but I want to talk to you how God's been using them to shape me. These offerings were teaching a people a new way to live out their God identity. And so for the wisdom for us is to ask, how might these offerings that I saw in Leviticus, or as we read back in Leviticus, be a way to draw us near to God? How might these practices be the kind of practices that I can implement into my life to help me to love God with all my heart and my neighbor as myself. One of those, the first practice was basically a surrender offering. It was you would bring an offering and you would burn the whole thing up as a sweet fragrance to God. This is an offering that Paul later would refer to in Romans 12 as the kind of offering that he wants us to make now as followers of Jesus, to Offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. And so this is a way for us to pause and say, Lord, if I haven't done so, I just, I want to surrender my life to you. So I would encourage you as you live in your life, as you come to a place called sojourn, for some of you, you may need to surrender your life to God this morning and say, God, I've never taken the moment to pause and say, I need to surrender my life to you. I need, I need to let you to be Lord of my life. And so the surrendering offering was a way that the Hebrews would do that every year to make a sacrifice, to remind themselves that, that God is Lord. And for you and I, maybe the practice of self-surrender would just every day simply pro profess, Jesus, you are my Lord. Perhaps you could practice this self-surrender by learning to be practice servant to be a servant in this church by offering to volunteer. Another way we can practice surrender is through our worship, saying, Lord, I'm going to come out and just praise you as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable. And then a relational skill that we may want to pursue is learning to share joy with the people around us and to smile at them and say, you bring me delight. 
And then the second offering was the gift offering. And this is a way that we could say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for all that you've given us. You have abundantly provided for us. And we just want to give a small token back to you. In Deuteronomy 26.10, they would call this the first fruits of the offering. A sample of all that you've given us, we want to give back to you. Today, we might practice that by, by extending gifts, like we do when we celebrate somebody's birthday, a small token of our gratitude for the relationships we're in. In America, as Christians, we do that before we eat. God, thank you for this food that you've given me. Thank you for all your provision, and I just want to say thank you. We do that, we can do that as a practice by giving an offering from the wages that we earn through our work, back to the church and back to God. We can do that through our volunteering and through our service. God, thank you for these talents and these gifts that you've given me. Help me to extend those to others. And in the peace offering, the third offering that was formative for these peace people is one of my, was one of my favorites. It's basically how can I extend shalom or peace and gratitude not only in harmony to my relationship with God, but to my neighbors. And so you would take an offering and give some to the priest, and he would give the rest of the meat back to you, and you would go throw a big party. You would invite the Levite, the widow, the orphan, the Hebrews would, and your family, and you would just celebrate God's abundance. It was celebration, relational harmony, the abundance of God's provision, and reminder of his Eden abundance. And you would enjoy God's gift abundance in the community with one another. And so perhaps one of the ways we could form ourselves as a people of God, as a church community, as individuals, to love God and love our neighbor with all of our heart, soul, and strength, would to throw more parties and to eat the Lord's Supper together and to share more relationship skills, um, the relational skills of inviting people close and sharing life with them. And then the last two, really quick, quickly, were ways that we could offer through purification, saying, man, Lord, I've, I have failed you. I have, I have not, oftentimes not done everything you've invited me to. And the practice that we can maybe glean from that was, I just need to, I need to confess. I need to find spaces in my day to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I have places where you've spoken and I haven't stepped in. Or, Lord, I'm sorry that in places where you were moving me, I didn't respond. I think another beautiful way that we could remind ourselves about that we've been purified through Jesus is through baptism. Reminder that when somebody's baptized, saying, Lord, man, you purified me. Lord, I thank you that through the washing and cleansing that we see in the story of baptism, that that's what you've done for me. And so we retell that story to one another. And then the last one is, the offering was repair or guilt offering. Is that because we are relational people, we have a tendency to hurt one another in our relationships. And sometimes we'll say things that we don't mean to say. And if you're married, you know that's true because we do that in our relationship. If you have kids, you know that's true because we say things to one another that are often true. And we, and we, we, we damage our relationships. And we need to repair those relationships with neighbors by, by making repayment. And ways that we can do that is maybe turn on some relational skills and say, I need to stay, this is a person made in God's image, and I need to stay relational. 
Maybe I need to quiet myself before I respond and say, before I send that text or write that tweet or post that Facebook, maybe I just need to be quiet and say, Lord, these are people that you love. Help me to practice and, and, and be mindful that they are people made in your image. So we've covered three big practices that God was using to form his people. So if I could summarize in one big idea, all that I'm learning and trying to say here this morning is this. The time and space and the relationships we inhabit are constantly forming our values, our identity, our character, our emotional health, our communities. And God invites us into his rhythmic time as a means to help us experience his grace, his joy, his love with him and with us. But here's the catch, that you and, I must be an you and I must be intentional in how we use our time and how we shape our calendars, how we create these moments in our weeks, in our months, in our years, so that we become more loving towards God, we allow more God's love into our lives, that we can be more relationally attuned to our neighbors and caring for them and meeting their needs and to care for ourselves and especially our enemies. So this sacred time that God was using to form his people, maybe there's some wisdom for us. How could we invite these spaces of sacred time as opportunities for us to pursue our spiritual transformation, to become everyday followers of Jesus? So before I pray, I want to invite you where you're at, just to, to quiet yourselves and to close your eyes and. Take a moment to speak, speak to God. So with your eyes closed and blocking out distractions around you, I want you to lean in and say, God, I know you love me. Thank you for loving me. So hear God to morning and say, I love you. And so from that posture, as your eyes are closed and you're, and you're reflecting some, on something I said or a word that God spoke to you. Hear him say to you, you bring me joy. So now from that posture, what's that one thing this morning that God's inviting you to explore further with him? Is it Sabbath? Is it a, is it a sacred meeting or a festival that he wants you to incorporate into your yearly rhythm? Perhaps it's a, an offering, a practice that he wants you to step into, both as an individual or maybe as a community, to draw you deeper into a life of transformation with him. So I'm going to give you a moment to be quiet. What's that one word? What's that phrase that God's speaking to you now? And when you, when you, when you hear it, I just want you to write it down. And then before we leave today, I want you to share it with somebody in the room. So let's be quiet and pray together. So you got, you got it? You got that word or the phrase or the habit or the practice? Write it down. And then I want to offer this prayer of blessing over you as I close. May this Lord's day bring rest 
to your heart and your home. May God's image in you be restored and your imagination in God be restored and your identity in him be recaptured. May the striving of status and material things be lightened and the relativity of time slow down. May you know grace to embrace your own finite smallness in the arms of God's infinite greatness. May God's word continue to feed you into the day, the week, and into the life to come. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.